Good morning. All right, so we are going to continue today in our series on who? Peter. Very good. And uh, we called the, the first message on Peter. Anybody remembers what it was about? The, the call of the the call to discipleship. Right. I may have used a slightly different name, but it was about Jesus calling Peter to be a disciple of his. And then last week, anybody remembers what we saw? How, how well was uh, Peter following Jesus? That's very okay. We called it uh, perhaps being out of step, a disciple out of step. And that again, uh, Peter was out of step on the same type of things that we tend to be out of step on. He had a hard time uh, dealing with the cross. He was uh, certain things that Jesus was doing. He was just struggling with. Uh, today. We're going to talk about the breaking of a disciple. All right. Trying to be perhaps a little bit uh, (coughs) dramatic here. But that's a word that the Bible does use. Breaking. Breaking. Let me quote you a, a verse. Jesus once described himself as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he said this, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We believe there's two different groups of people talked of in that verse. There's the first that will stumble on him, they'll fall and be broken. Then there's the second half that it says he will fall on and they will be crushed. We believe it talks, one group is actually believers that will come and they'll fall upon him and are broken, and we'll, we'll talk about what that means. And the other ones actually are people who resist him. And it says we'll be crushed. They're talking about the judgment. Um, what does it mean to be broken? Well, we often try to use illustrations that help. Illustrations only carry us so far. The illustration for breaking uh, we typically use is uh, that of uh, breaking a horse. And we don't mean we take the horse and break it in half. That wouldn't do anybody any good. What it means is really convincing the horse, and it's a process that takes typically a very long time. You typically start when the horse is very young. You acclimate him to people. You slowly lead the horse. Those who might have worked with horses probably know all the mistakes I'm saying now. But at the end of the day, you're hoping to convince the horse to trust you. Instead of doing what it wants to do, the horse should do what you want him to do. If that actually happened, their horse is considered to have been broken. You didn't take him, you didn't break him. You just, in a sense, you broke him of self. Instead of, of responding to his own instincts and doing what he wants to do, he is trusting his master. And he's doing what his master wants him to do. And that's, that can be applied so far to us, what the Lord wants to do with us. If you remember, Peter was stumbling. He wasn't following his Lord very well. We'll see here really the, the greatest stumble of Peter's life, perhaps one of the most famous in Scripture, and, uh, and really, the Lord is going to use this experience to teach Peter to trust him and to follow him. And the only sense in which you could say he's breaking uh, Peter of anything is he's breaking Peter of his pride and of his self. If you think one of the things you do when you want to convince somebody to, to follow you and trust you, you have to show them that they can't follow and trust themselves. And that's really what Jesus will do here to Peter. Uh, just another verse about that where the illustration uh, breaks down 
I have uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 28 and 29. You can turn there, but I'm going to go ahead and just read it. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The way the illustration breaks down is typically you train a horse because you have some heavy labor you want the horse to do. And uh, you're going to ride on the horse, or you'll put a cart behind the horse, and the horse will drag the cart. But that really doesn't work with us very well because, you know, we can't handle any weight. <laughs> Jesus, in fact, said, without me, you can do nothing. We couldn't, we couldn't somehow carry the weight of God on our shoulders. We couldn't drag God along. We couldn't do any real works for God because we don't have the strength. He does. And so Jesus uh, shows us here really the goal is, he says, come to me, you, uh, all you who are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What he's saying, that a yoke was a device that they used, to, they would put it behind on the horse. It would kind of hold onto their shoulders where, where they could really pull, and then they could pull the toe behind them. Sometimes they would make it for two animals. It was like a double kind of loop. And what Jesus is saying, come and take my yoke upon you. It's my yoke, it's on my shoulder, but there's room for one more over here. And I want you and come and join me. And you know what? Jesus is going to be the one doing all the work. In fact, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because as long as we're really serving ourselves, uh, as we will see in the case of Peter, it's hard work. It's hard work when I'm serving myself. When I'm serving him, he does all the work. And I can actually enjoy rest. And uh, he says here, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Uh, We'll see one of the main things he has to do with Peter is really bring down that pride, the pride that we come into this world in. We talk about instinct. You have to break horses of the instincts. Our instinct is that of pride, of putting ourselves first. And uh, as long as we have that pride... God can't really do anything with us. In fact, he can't even fellowship with us because we're so different from him. He says this, uh, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's something that Jesus had to do to Peter, is really to, to deliver him from his pride, his self-conceit, his self-dependence, which he has to do with us as well, if we are to really dwell with him, if he is to dwell with us, and we are to collaborate with him. Okay? With that introduction, let's turn to John, chapter 13, pretty close to where we left off last time. We're, we're going to have to skip around a little bit in the Gospels, We'll be looking at uh, a relatively short period of time in Peter's life. But to get the details, we have to to compare the different uh, passages. But John chapter 13. And verse 31. 
So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So we have here Jesus. This is uh, what we often call the Last Supper. Jesus is eating with his disciples for the last time. And he's telling them that this is the end, so to speak, of his earthly ministry with them. Now he's going to Move on, he says, uh, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified with him. He's talking about the cross, how he is going to glorify God in the cross. And uh, he gives them the commandment we talked about last time of loving one another. But all that P- Peter seems to have been able to hear is this, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. What Peter is saying is, effectively, is I'm going to be separated from you from now on. I'm, I'm going on. I'm going to the cross. This is a work that they could have nothing to do with. They were going to stay back, watch Jesus being crucified, hopefully watch Jesus being raised from the dead, watch Jesus ascended to heaven, and then begin the work of the church, which we're part of today. But to them, this would be a new experience because up to now, Peter always literally followed the Lord. He went with Jesus wherever Jesus went. He got to experience Jesus on a daily basis. And and this was good. Peter wanted it to continue. He didn't want it to end. And that's why he's kind of, uh, I don't know what you use the word bucking with horse now. You know, he's not happy about what's happening. He's, he's saying, wait a second, this is not right. You shouldn't be departing from us. And uh, in fact, he makes an argument and he says, uh, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. So he's really saying, Lord, I can follow you wherever you're going. This is wrong for you to separate yourself from me. So like we said, we're we're beginning to enter into another step of Peter going downhill. Whenever Peter is saying no to the Lord and disagrees with the Lord, you know there's a problem. (laughs) And you also know the problem is not with the Lord. Um, But Peter is not doing anything different from what we're doing when we don't want to do what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord is leading us somewhere, and we don't want to do it. We have our own mind. We're basically doing the same thing that Peter is doing here. And uh, what we will see Jesus beginning to do now, he's being, like I said, this rock that uh, somebody walks across and stumbles over and he's broken. Jesus is just going to stand firm and will let Peter see who Peter is. He's really going to in a sense, revealed Peter to himself more than Peter has ever got a chance to see himself. And the goal here, like I said, is is to show Peter that he doesn't want to follow himself. He really wants to follow the Lord. He 
he wants him to see what Paul has come to see. Paul has come to the point in his life where he said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, there's nothing good that dwells. I don't, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Jesus is, is going to work in Peter to bring him to the same point. And the first thing he does here, in verse 38, he says, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me. Three times he's saying, I'm sorry, Peter. You're saying you love me so much, you're going to die for me? I'm telling you, before the night is out, you're going to deny me. Deny three times you even know me. Okay, he's, he's, he's trying to get through to Peter, show Peter what he is really like. Now, we'll see it'll be a long way down. It'll take a long time for Peter to actually recognize that about himself. And uh, for that, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew. And as, as we turn there and as we read the passage, look for two main things. Look for evidence of uh, the fact that Peter is doing his own thing. And the fact that Peter thinks that he's pretty good, he's, he's got what we would call pride, or thinks that he can trust himself and do what he wants to do, um, depending upon himself. So two things, Peter, Peter doing his own things, depending upon himself, and also look for evidence of the Lord trying to show Peter what he's like. Those are the two main things we'll be looking for. We'll go through these passages relatively quick. We can't comment on, on every verse. So we'll just pick on those items. Okay, uh, verse 31. So Peter chapter 26 and verse 31. They say Matthew, Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So to give Peter a little bit of a break, he's where all of them actually are. But uh, Peter, this is later on, because in verse 30 it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is, this is not the first time Jesus is telling him he'll deny him three times that night. But, uh, you know, Jesus is thinking of his disciples, and he's warning them, you know, you're going to stumble because of me tonight. But it means your faith will stumble. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and yet they didn't recognize what was going to happen on the cross, even though Jesus has been telling them that. When they see Jesus crucified, you know, their faith is going to be in shambles. In fact, they, they're not even thinking about the fact he said he was going to rise from the dead three days later. And he's really just preparing them here for it. He's saying, you'll all be made to stumble because of me. And he quotes the scripture. You know, this, I knew this was going to happen. This is no surprise to me. And it's probably to encourage them also after they stumble with the fact that Jesus is not going to desert them because they stopped believing in him. He knew it was going to happen. He knew this is a real trial that they're coming across. Uh, but uh, Peter will have none of it. He says, no, I'm, my, my faith in you, Lord, it's so strong, I'm not going to stumble. The rest of these guys, I don't know. You know, between me and you, Lord, I, I, doubt, <laughs> I have doubts about them too. But, you know, you got me, I'm rock solid. Uh, not good. You know, it, and that's, again, the problem. 
when we're not walking and following after the Lord, a lot of it is self-pride. We're trusting in ourselves. We really think that we know better than the Lord when it comes down to it. When the Lord says, do this, and we say something else. Uh, we see this in Peter, pride. And, uh, and uh, we see it again, of course, after the Lord again reminds him about the rooster crying, he'll be denying the Lord. He says to the Lord's face, you know, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He's effectively calling the Lord a liar. He doesn't think about it in that term. But he's, he's just completely disagreeing with the Lord here. Not a good place to be. Uh, just uh, jumping down a few verses, uh, in verse 36 we see them coming to the garden where the Lord will be praying, and he actually invites John, Peter, and James with him. They're also supposed to be there and pray with him. And in verse 40, it says, Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes away the second time, and verse 43, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So we have two things here. First of all, the Lord is, is showing some inconsistency here to Peter. You know, he's saying, Lord, I'm so devoted to you, I'm willing to die for you. And then the Lord says, all right, come and pray with me while I'm praying here. And he comes back and Peter's asleep. And, and the same thing happens again. Not that I want to be hard on Peter. I don't know how many times in my life I actually prayed for an hour straight, which shows me something about myself. But we profess Great faith in the Lord in dramatic moments, and yet, or in public, but in reality, it's really our prayer life that shows how much we're really trusting in him. And the problem here with Peter is he's claiming he'll stand for the Lord. Well, what is he basing that claim on? Is he trusting that the Lord, the power of God, will help him do it? Well, if he was, he'll be praying. He's not praying. He's trusting himself. He thinks by his own strength, he'll be able to go out and die with the Lord, whatever he thought in his mind, that would actually be. He's trusting in himself. He's not trusting in the Lord, which is the first thing that causes us to be out of step. It's really this false confidence we have in ourselves. Uh, let's continue here. In uh, verse 51, so now the soldiers have come. They're going to arrest Jesus. And in verse 51, it says, And suddenly... One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. Guess who that was? It was Peter. And it doesn't say it in this passage, but in the parallel passage in John, it says this was Peter. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Probably wasn't aiming for the ear. Probably was aiming for the neck. But he was a fisherman. But, but So he was trying to kill the guy, is what I'm saying. Okay, it wasn't supposed to be kind of like a, you know, a shot across the bow. He, he, he was trying to kill this guy. Uh, then Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must be thus? There's three things that the Lord is telling Peter is completely out of place in what he's doing. Again, Peter is, is thinking he's doing the right thing here. He's standing out for the Lord. He's going to save the Lord from being taken by these bad guys. And the Lord turns to him and tells him, you're completely out of place here, Peter. And the first thing he says, uh, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. It makes me think of a verse actually in uh, 
John, I'll just read it. But uh, it was a kind of a similar scene in the sense that Jesus went to a village uh, to preach the gospel, and the villagers came out against him and said, we don't want you here. And James and John felt, all right, this is the moment to step up. Lord, do you want us to call fire from heaven and destroy these guys? And the Lord, the Lord says this to them. He says, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has come not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And Jesus was here. He was trying to save this guy's life. He, he was going to die for Malchus. The name of the guy that his ear was cut off was Malchus. He was going to die for Malchus' sin with the hope that he'll trust in Jesus and be saved. And here comes Peter waving his sword, wanting to cut the guy's head off. How much diametrically opposed can you be to what Jesus is doing? Which is what happens again when we don't do what the Lord tells us to do and I'm doing something else instead. Typically it means I'm diametrically opposed for what the Lord is trying to do. It's not that there's the Lord's will and there's my will and, you know, maybe the two might coincide and, you know, probably the Lord doesn't care so much I'm not doing his will because I'm also doing something good over here. Like, no, you're diametrically opposed. If the Lord told you to do something, you're doing something else you're probably doing something the very opposite of what the Lord wants you to be doing. Uh, number two we have here. Again, Peter thinks he's doing something good here. And uh, Jesus said, Oh, do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, the picture that Peter is giving here is the Lord is this helpless person that needs Peter, you know, this poor fisherman with a sword to come in and save him. It's like, don't you think I could just ask God? To, if I wanted to be saved, I wouldn't ask you, Peter. Okay? I mean, 12 legions of angels, that's 60,000 angels, with one angel in the Old Testament demonstrated to have killed between 100 and 200,000 people. I mean, he could have wiped the earth clean of people if Jesus wanted to. By say, The truth would be spoken, he didn't need the angels to do it. But, but he, he was just showing he didn't. Really, what Peter was showing, that he did not believe in the Lord. He didn't, he didn't believe who the Lord was. He didn't believe the Lord was able to do what he was doing. Uh, it really was an act of unbelief. Again, you're thinking you're doing something good, but at the end of, of the day, you're just showing disbelief in God. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. He's saying, Serve me. Do the things that, that I care, the things that pertain to my kingdom, and I'll take care of you. And uh, when I run into something, well, you know, I'd like to do this for the Lord, but, you know, this is going to be too expensive or I'm going to lose out in somehow I'm providing for myself. I'm not going to advance in my job. You know, I'm losing job security. This is not a good time to lose job security because it's hard to find jobs. I'm not believing in the Lord. I'm simply not believing that he can provide for me. It's an act, act of disbelief in the Lord. And uh, the third thing we see here that Peter is doing, again, thinking he's doing something good, how then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? He's going in, in direct violation of everything that Jesus told him would be happening. God has a revealed plan and that of Jesus going to the cross. And Peter's been telling him about it. And he's, uh, sorry, Jesus has been telling him about it. And he's been quoting scriptures to them and really what Peter is, is doing is disagreeing with what God says in his word. I'm going to do my own things instead of what God wants me to do. Which again, when we're going off on our own, it's generally will be disobeying what God clearly is saying in his word 
that he wants us to be doing. Okay. And really, the purpose of Peter here is he's trying to reveal, the purpose of Jesus here is he's trying to help Peter see Peter. It's really, it's a work of conviction of sin in Peter's life. Uh, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke for the next passage. Probably the most famous passage in this uh, particular incident. This is Luke chapter 22. So after Jesus was arrested, it says Peter followed him. He still haven't given up on the good deed he was going to do for the day. He's, you know, so far he's uh, 0 for 2, but he has one more chance. And uh, starting in verse 54, then having arrested him, they led him and so they arrested Jesus. They led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. That was, by the way, Peter saying to that woman, I don't know Jesus. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then Peter went out and wept bitterly. We'll try not to beat up Peter too much over this passage because he's been beat up over it throughout the centuries. But this is... He basically did what Jesus said. He denied who to know who Jesus was. Basically, he wanted to save his skin. There he was, trying to follow Jesus, and yet uh, he wasn't willing to experience what Jesus was experiencing in the room and being interrogated and the cross before. Peter just wasn't willing to lose his life over Jesus at that particular moment. And so he basically denied knowing Jesus, knowing if he would confess to be a disciple of Jesus, he could be in a lot of hot water at that particular time. What is interesting to me is more looking at verses 60 uh, and uh, 61. We have three things happening at the same time. Jesus, Peter is speaking. Peter is speaking. He is literally uttering the word, denying the Lord. Uh, a rooster is crowing at that very moment that he is speaking. The Lord is turning and looks at Peter at the same time. Peter's memory cells, or whatever you call those, are triggered and remind Peter of what Jesus has done. You have almost these four points coming at the same time, hitting in the middle, and Peter is convicted of his sin. He's finally seeing himself for who he is. It reminds me of... um, a procedure that they have now 
some people in the medical field might be familiar, familiar with it. I have a coworker who uh, had cancer, and uh, he had a, a tumor in his brain. And uh, it's too dangerous to start cutting the head open, cutting the brain open to try to reach the tumor. You'd probably kill the guy before you get the tumor out. Well, they have a new technique of radiation. Now, it's not the this, this, this standard radiation. Standard radiation, they basically aim a beam of uh, really high energy particles or uh, photons at an area of your body, and they'll come in. They'll basically fry whatever it hits, and it'll, it'll kill the tumor, but it'll also kill any other parts of your body that's in the way. Well, you can't do it with your brain. You don't want to fry a, you know, a path of line in your brain on the way to the tumor and then also fry the tumor because it's, you're not going to be the same person. You may not even survive and live the experience, uh, survive the experience. So what they do is they actually take a whole bunch of beams and they point them from different directions at the same spot inside your brain where the tumor is. So each beam on its own is not powerful enough to damage the tissue. But when they combine at a single point, you have a lot of energy that's created, and that will fry the tumor. And that's actually a successful procedure they use these days to heal people that have tumors in, in their brain or some very delicate places that they can't get to in any other way. And that's what I see here really happening in, in the life of Peter. The Lord is using all these different spot slice, the, uh, the words as he's speaking them, the ear hearing, the eye seeing the Lord turning, and the memory being triggered all at the same time allows Peter to see what Peter is like. And the Lord needs to do it because we, we try very hard not to see our own sin. We try very hard to ignore the mistakes that we do and kind of brush them under the table. And Peter and Jesus needs to bring it all to light, or the Holy Spirit is working in us to bring it all to light to help us see what we really are like. And uh, the sight is not very pretty when you get to see what you're really like. And I can say that personally uh, with Paul. You know, I know within me nothing good dwells. The only good that is inside of me is the good that Christ is bringing with him, which we enjoy. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Let's go ahead and turn back to John for the last passage. And what I'd like us to see here is the change in Peter's life. The change in Peter's life. So John, last chapter, chapter 21. And this is after Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, it's probably at least the third time that Peter sees Jesus. Uh, we all know he saw him with the other 11 when Jesus walked into the room and said, Peace to you. And that's when the 11 got to see him. The Bible tells us that Peter actually saw him before that. There was one incident that's not recorded exactly what happened, but it is recorded that Jesus actually saw Peter before and was probably already restored. So this is not where Peter is somehow getting restored to the Lord and, you know, saying, you know, I, I like to say sorry, I didn't mean to, or, um, you know, I feel really bad that I denied you. That's already taken care of, okay? That's in the past, okay? Okay. Uh, but we'll still, we'll see a new Peter here as we look at it. John chapter 21, verse 15. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly I say to you, When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. A new Peter. We see a new Peter here. <clears throat> Let me point out at least four four examples of how we can tell this is a new Peter. And by saying a new Peter, I mean the Lord's accomplished what he wanted to. He allowed Peter to see himself. In a sense, you could say Peter is broken, but not in a bad way. He's really broken of his self. He, he's come to see what Peter is like. He doesn't want to follow Peter anymore. He wants to do what the Lord says here at the end. He wants to really follow the Lord now. Um, First we see, Jesus asked him, do you love me more than this? And it says, uh, Peter responds to him saying, <clears throat> I love you. What the passage may not tell you is that the words for love are different. Jesus is asking, Peter, do you love me with an agape love? We talked last time about the, uh, agape and phileo, two different words for love. Agape is this all-consuming love that Jesus loved the disciples with. And he wanted the disciples to love one another with a love where you don't think about yourself. You just think about the other person, how you can bless them. It's the love of God. And, and Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me with this love? Do you agape love me? And Peter responds saying, uh, Lord, I phileo you. And we could maybe translate it saying, Lord, I have affection for you. In fact, it says, Lord, you know, I have affection for you. And... Uh, so it's a weaker word, but Peter recognizes that this is the truth about himself. He doesn't want to boast like he did before. Lord, I'm ready to die for you, because he knows it's not true. It, he really does love the Lord, but he realizes that his love is far short of the love that the Lord has. The Lord has just died for Peter. That has just happened. Peter would not die for the Lord. There was a difference in love. Okay, So it's a new Peter. He recognizes his own limitation. Uh, second, it's also in that passage... If you notice, Jesus asked me, him, son of, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? If you remember what Peter said before, he said, I don't know about these other guys, but Lord, you know, I'm really faithful to you. Well, so it was an opportunity to repeat it. Uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? Yeah, I, I love you more than these guys. <laughs> no, he wasn't going to make that claim. He's come... You know, he's with Paul now. He's willing to say, you know, Christ came to die for sinners of whom I am chief. That's how Peter sees himself. He doesn't see himself as better than the other guys. Which is, by the way, necessary if we are to to love other people the way Jesus wants us to love them. We can't think of ourselves higher. Uh, The third thing we see here is uh, toward the end, it said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Um, sorry, that was the th- when he asked him the third time. It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Well, <clears throat> in that case, the Lord has now lowered his standard. He, he's using the filial love too. He's saying, Peter, do you have affection for me? 
And uh, I think Peter is grieved because he realizes that's all he can give to the Lord. I mean, he's, he's grieved over his sin. It's okay. He recognizes his own inability in and of himself. But that's a very different Peter, a Peter that's grieving over himself as opposed to a Peter that's boasting and telling everyone in the world how wonderful he is. And uh, the fourth thing we have is remember how he used to continue to disagree with the Lord with what the Lord told him. Well, now in verse 17, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have affection for you. He's now come to realize Jesus knows more about him than he knows about him. Which, again, it's a new Peter. This is not the Peter we had before. So you might say, you know, if I, if I were to take uh, Peter to a psychologist, he'd say, he'd say, oh, no, he lost all his self-esteem. You know, we've got to do something about building it up again. But you don't see that in Jesus. Jesus is not upset about the change that happened in Peter. In fact, it seems like he's rewarding him, right? He's, he's saying, do you love me? Peter says, I have affection to you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Peter has affection for him. He says, tend my sheep. Do you have affection for me? I have affection for you. Feed my sheep. He's giving Peter more responsibility. This new Peter can do more than the old Peter could. The old Peter couldn't really take care of anybody else because of the issues he had. Well, now that Peter has come to see the end of himself, and instead of, instead of doing things out of pride or selfishness, he is willing to do things for the Lord. He wants to really follow the Lord. Now he can actually use him. Because of his lower view of himself, he can be more useful to the Lord. And that's why the Lord is doing the same work in us. He wants us to not follow ourselves. He wants us to have a true estimation of ourselves so we can follow him, so we could really serve him more. And uh, the, the closing word that the Lord has here, <coughs> in verse 18, he says to him, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This is spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So he's talking here about Peter's death. He's telling him about the end of his life. The fact that, and, and he's actually talking here about the fact that Peter himself will be crucified. That's why he says someone is going to stretch out your hand. And, uh, Someone might say, oh no, you know, what kind of a sad ending of the conversation. Well, it's not because that was Peter's dearest wish here. He wanted to be able to lay down his life for the Lord. And he wasn't able to. He found that in himself he was lacking. Peter says, one day you will. You will be able to lay down your life for me. And in fact, he said, he used the words, he showed him by which death he's going to glorify God. When Peter does it, it's not going to be him acting out of self. He will be glorifying the Lord. And in order for us to glorify the Lord in our lives, we need to come to the same point that Jesus brought Peter, the point where he recognizes himself to be nothing. He just wants to follow the Lord. He'll go wherever the Lord wants him to do, and now the Lord can glorify himself in Peter's life. The the Bible says that we are uh, earthen vessels in which lies the glory of God. Well, God can only shine through us when we realize that it's not us, but it's him that's, um, that's shining through us. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. When he realizes his own inability, then the power of God rests upon him. It, the Bible says 
that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's Peter's pride that led him to fall. Because of his pride, he had to fall down. But now that Peter is humble, the grace of God can be upon him and God can use him. And we'll see in the next, uh, the next two studies about Peter that this new Peter can do great things for God. In the book of Acts, he stands up and he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. God really uses him to shepherd the early church. These are the things that, this is what had to happen to Peter in order for people to be able to live that kind of a life for God. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus and how he is willing to work in us. We think of how even as Jesus was going to the cross, he was thinking about Peter and the work that he had to do in Peter's life to bring Peter to the point where he could use Peter in a way that would uh, glorify him, uh, bless his others, and finally bring Peter to where he wanted to be. Lord, we thank you that this is the work that you're doing today, even among us. We ask, Lord, that we might be vessels that you can use, that we might be sensitive, that we will quickly come to the point that Peter was at, that you might be able to use us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.